is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Hello, good morning everybody and welcome to Teachers Talk Radio. It is the Thursday morning break with me, Holly Kingman, and we are talking about creating safe spaces in your schools and classrooms for your less able students. Grab a cuppa, get ready for the conversation. This is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Well, good morning to all of you. Where are you tuning in from today? I am, of course, in the lovely Leighton Buzzard in Bedfordshire, which is drizzly and grey, very typical for this time of year. But um, lovely sparkly times are ahead with, of course, fireworks night and Christmas and Diwali, all of those lovely things just around the corner. Um, So in your schools, how are things going? It's just a couple of days until half term. Or maybe you're one of those lucky schools that has a training day tomorrow, which means this really is the last day for um, trying to get through all of those lessons before you go off into your lovely, relaxing half-term breaks. So we do have a fabulous conversation today, a really, really important one. And we have a really very experienced and wonderful and wise and warm guest. Um, I wanted to talk about how we create safe learning spaces for our less able learners in schools, in our classrooms, because, of course, as we know as teachers, there are multiple issues at play when a, a young person is less able, you know, and we're trying to help them thrive. But sometimes it can feel a little bit like a minefield. Where do we go first? How do we best support them? Are we taking care of all of the needs in our classroom? And actually, it isn't as simple as just differentiating the work. There needs to be a whole range of things in place to really give those students the best opportunity to thrive. And that's why we have Carly Woodall, who is the Language and Communication Director of Brooklyn's Middle School in Bedfordshire, uh, on the show today, talking about what really is her speciality. And there really is so much that we can learn from Carly and so much that we can glean from um, the, the conversation today. So I hope you'll enjoy the conversation I had with Carly. And do feel free to share your thoughts by tweeting or commenting on Instagram. You can find all of the Teachers Talk Radio um, posts by using the hashtag TT Radio or even uh, the handle at uh, TT Radio 22. And I believe that you can um, include Carly in the conversation by um, adding the handle at Brooklands underscore SCH. I'm joined now by Carly Woodhall, who is the um, Language and Communication Director of Brooklyn's Middle School in Bedfordshire. Carly, thank you so much for joining us on Teachers Talk Radio. You're welcome. Very happy to be here again. Ah, oh, it's lovely to have you back and for a really important topic and one that I'm hoping um, our listeners will enjoy and really glean lots of um, great advice and tips and just some some thought provoking experience of yours from today's today's chat. Um, so why don't you start by telling us about your background in teaching and your role at Brooklyn's Middle School? Okay, you have to stop me because you know how much I like to talk about this. <laughs> um, Go for it. We want to hear it. Okay, I'm 43 and I came to teaching really late um, after a, another career. So I started teaching just over 10 years ago. Um, and I started at a huge primary school in Luton, a huge outstanding primary school in Luton called, and that's where I 
did my training and then I very quickly moved to a tiny church school in a little village outside Leighton Buzzard called Heath and Reach. Spent lots of time there, seven or eight years. Um, also became an RE specialist in that time. Um, loved working in a tiny setting, but knew I needed to spread my wings and go somewhere a bit more like where I'd grown up. Um, so I moved to Brooklands a year ago and um, the reason I moved there was because they had done a very good job teaching my very dyslexic son and I knew that one day when I was a big girl and I'd made it in my career I'd like to support <laughs> children that needed um, I'd like to support children that needed extra support like my son did and because they'd done such a good job of it I wanted to be part of that kind of team and work in that area um, and I'd, I'd had the opportunity to hone my skills um, in a very small church school, which meant I could kind of lavish lots of care on anyone with additional needs. And now it's great to be able to um, do that full time. Um, so I run an intervention classroom, specific, specifically in English intervention classroom, but um, offer lots of emotional support as well. Um, so I teach five, six, seven and eight years, five, six, seven and eight across the school um, in intervention English. And some and of I our listeners it. might find that um, quite a peculiar age range because middle schools are not as common as maybe they once were. But it's I, I, I quite like the middle school age range. I think it's nice. Do, do you enjoy that age range? I do. And I think that it's I've experienced it with my own children. So my daughter and son, who are 18 and 15 now, went through the middle middle school system. And it just gives them a little bit of extra time to be children. I feel like it kind of um, keeps them younger for longer, but in the best possible way, not 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 um, holding them back in any way, but just enables them to experience more of childhood for a little bit longer, which is quite important, I think. Yeah, definitely. In the um, in the huge, busy um, secondary school in in London, in a city that I qualified at, I used to just see these sweet little year sevens come in in September, and I used to just sort of panic that they were sort of really thrown into the deep with, you know, all these like really grown up sixteen year olds. Um, yeah, so yeah, the sure. middle school system sort of softens that transition, I think, from being 12 to being 16 <laughs> it, it does yeah and it, and it allows it's it kind of gives us a space to have this kind of provision um and it and it still works because our year eights aren't looking up to year nines tens elevens and twelves they are the top of the school so yeah it's it, it works for us it works here nice so um why don't you tell us about your the the, the sort of students and families that you have at your school compared to local schools in Leighton Buzzard and and of course nationally as well what's the makeup like? So we're really lucky in Leighton Buzzard we've got lots of very good middle schools but I would say our demographic is probably the most vulnerable we support lots of vulnerable families we have a high proportion of people premium children and a much higher than average um SEN group so yeah we 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 cater for all types of children really well I think um, which makes us a destination for any children with anxiety additional needs and we've got a very good reputation with parents for caring for children with those kind of needs too um, so yeah we're just a very holistic and nurturing environment um, that isn't always that is that isn't always easy but we that's what we aim to but that's do. what you do well at, at your school I think I think we really do yes I think we I think we've become a destination for for children that need some different level of understanding and help with their learning and what what is your school makeup compared to nationally is it does it still have a large proportion of pupil premium for example compared to national figures yes I'm not I'm not really um I'm not a figures person as everyone else me neither <laughs> it's all Greek to me but um but yes we've got higher than average for both for both groups um and yeah that's as far as I'm going to go with data because I'm an English <laughs> and an RE specialist well, like, it's it's... I need to brush up on for Ofsted I must I must get better at data 
Oh, Ofsted, um, Schmofsted. I, I, you know, I think in your, in the the type of school that you're working in and the type of work it sounds like that you're doing, I think numbers are not really like they don't really mean as much as things that are more tangible. I think in sure, person, like, more example, real. Yeah, a child a child entering my classroom, not being able to read, and then being able to read um six weeks later is what i'm really interested in yeah um, and not about um, what mark they get or or what percentage of this or that or the other yeah absolutely um so what are the biggest barriers to learning faced by the, the children in your particular nurture groups if you're happy to tell us a little bit about those groups and what the makeup is like I am. I, I really like that question. I've been thinking about that. What are the biggest barriers? There are so many and so many more now than there were pre-pandemic. And I don't I know we're all getting bored of talking about the pandemic. I think our biggest barrier or the biggest barrier for those children is usually anxiety around learning, anxiety around school, anxiety around social groups and peer pressure. Um, it, they've basically got to a point in their educational career where they really notice that they're different to their peers and it makes them feel rubbish and I think that is the, that is genuinely the biggest barrier for them some of them can't decode so some of them have really severe phonic issues issues with phonics and they haven't harnessed phonics and that might be because phonics would never work for them or it could be because they haven't had a very good experience at lower school um, it could be something to do with their family setting so they haven't been ready to learn but the biggest barrier for most of the children I teach is the way they view themselves and how they how the education system has kind of left them feeling less or it's kind of less left them feeling like they aren't making average grades therefore they're not as good as their peers so a lot of the work I do is around activating their learning esteem um, improving their efficacy and their self-belief really um, this is what's really grabbed my interest like for this particular topic for this show um, because going back a few months ago I was talking to a teacher friend um, and we were talking about you know children that we've we'd taught mutually years ago and how they might be doing now um and in conversation we both sort of went I'd never really thought about what it might be like to be less able and how you might feel in a in a mixed ability classroom being yeah. a, when you're a teacher usually I mean there may be some subjects where you've struggled and you might have struggled with school for various reasons um, but can you really understand what it might be like for those less able students? And that's what really got me thinking about this topic. Like, how must they feel? And what are we doing to make it safe for them? Like, they must feel less, like you say, like they're not good enough. They're not meeting the targets their peers are meeting. Um, so, I think my own, sorry, my, no, my own experience with my own son. So, my son's now 15 and about to embark on his GCSEs next year. And he, he, he at his lower school that he went to he couldn't read like his friends could and the reason he knew he couldn't read was be were because was because when he got to choose a book it was on the bottom shelf in the library and all his friends were choosing books from the top shelf it's that kind of really simple um esteem preserving thing you can do to make them not aware that they aren't kind of achieving like their peers are um, but by the time they get to me in year five they've already developed they've, they've already they're already switched off because they've already realized um, and they think there's something wrong with them so yeah mm. I think my own experience as a parent really helped me with that um, and then working in a setting that was very uh, the first school I worked at sorry the second school I worked at only had just over 100 children so we we were really blessed with the time to be able to get to know the families get to know the children really individually and then unpick their kind of their own learning mechanisms and be able to really really support them individually um, but you can do that on a bigger scale it's just all about your mindset and your level of determination I think 
Mm, well, that leads me really nicely onto my my next question, actually, about like a whole school approach. And um, like you say, your school does have a reputation. Um, I know of your school for having a reputation of being able to cater for a range of needs. And every child is, you know, very carefully um, and beautifully looked after at the school. Um, does your does your school have a whole school approach to less able students or any initiatives that they run or is it just woven into the fabric of your your ethos it, yeah it I, I the second thing you said definitely <laughs> um, we don't um we don't promote ourselves as a as a as a as a destination for those children we just have a staff by and large our staff are very committed to um to catering for those needs. Um, so we use restorative practice with our behaviour management. So um, we try to give every child a voice and we try to understand, um, we, we try to understand everything they do and, um, and we have restorative conversations endlessly about um, mistakes and that's that sort of thing. Um, but our SLT are very sensible in their approach to staff wellbeing and workload, which obviously filters down and allows staff to choose and prioritise what we think is important. And that is um, having the opportunity to spend time with children, really kind of honing, honing in on what their issues are. Um, so yeah, we're not. It's not perfect. It's not a perfect setting, and I talk about that all the time. It's still very stressful and very pressured quite a lot of the time. But we, as a teacher there, I know that if I go to SLT and say, "This is what I want to do. I've got this issue, but I can't do this," they'll say, "That's fine. Just do whatever you need to do." So by and large, we all feel very, very supported by our senior, by our senior leadership, and I think that's really important because that enables us to support the students really, really well instead of worrying about meeting a deadline or worrying about getting a report in at a certain time or worrying about a meeting, we can just focus most of the time on our classroom practice. Um, so yeah, we've got a really dedicated team. So your um, SLT is, you know, it's it is so nice to hear any teacher talk about having a really supportive. Um, Isn't it novel, Holly? Isn't it it is, and and sadly, it's novel. It should it should just be the standard, but sadly, it, it isn't. Should, is it? it should be, and I think so much of that is about bravery. So I I um, got to a point in my career where I chose I, I chose the next school I wanted to go to. I made up my mind about where to go and I say to my teacher friends all the time remember not all schools are the same you know so many people are leaving the profession it's so stressful but I knew that Brooklands would be a really good place for me because I'd connected with SLT professionally and personally as a parent that you know they obviously looked after my son so I just knew that those people were sensible decent human beings that could see beyond goals and targets and um yeah, it's, it's quite it's quite hard. And I, I find myself a lot of the time because I've got a very big team. There's seven of us English teachers, that, there's, seven, there's six of us that I look after. And I'm always saying, remember how lucky we are. Remember, it's not like this everywhere. Um, so the narrative, so my narrative around SLT is very positive um, because I can see how hard it is. Um, we're doing lots of work on um, understanding well-being better and trying to what does that um, look like in your school what what um because you know some some slts or some schools even think that supporting teacher well-being is putting a plate of croissants out on a friday morning or you know having a yoga instructor come in for you know on a tuesday lunchtime um but what yeah. does it actually look like in your school other than what you've already expressed about saying prioritize the children over some deadlines where possible what does well-being look like in your school that's a very good question thank you I'm, i don't feel like i'm articulating myself very well i'm obviously extremely tired <laughs> well you're a teacher a week before half term of course you're tired we um we aren't big on tokenism and um and I and I and I and I I embody that. So I don't want to be leaving a mug of chocolate, um, chocolate bars on my teachers' desks saying, Thank you so much for your hard work. What I want to be saying to them is, you look awful, leave your laptop here tonight, don't do any work, pass me those mock sats papers, I'll mark them for you. Let's spread the load. What do you need? Um, 
so it's it's kind it's all it's just about embodying self-care which I think I model really well so I will tell my team if I'm exhausted and I will tell them why um, and it's about encouraging better connection with people so um, be, allowing yourself to be honest with your superiors and your peers when you're feeling vulnerable and then allowing them to say oh my goodness actually I feel exactly the same and so much strength and power comes from that um, I did an, I led an inset this year that I was really proud of um, around the power of vulnerability and um, about how being honest about how our own personal struggle really helps other people and, and I had some really fabulous feedback people sort of saying oh my goodness that was amazing I feel so much better I feel ready for the year um, and then it's about just reminding yourselves at, at, at difficult times that we're in it for the children um, and that everyone struggles and that other settings aren't as good as ours so it's not perfect by by a long way and I think anyone listening would agree but we are all kind of striving for a better work-life balance um, and by and large SLT try to model that um, and as part of that I do that to my team too so if someone's ill I will send them home or if you know if, if someone's obviously exhausted I'll say you look exhausted tonight you need to do less or nothing or take the day mm. off tomorrow um, which takes quite a lot of courage because obviously we know that, that being short-staffed is stressful but when we've got a tight team and we can pull together to support each other it kind of works none of this is rocket science um it's just it's just kind of a sensible approach to surviving teaching really yeah um, and if you're going to survive you need to look after yourself yeah and I suppose so much of of this filters down to to the students you know if you're looking For after sure. your staff and looking after each other you're you're creating a a culture within your school where looking after each other is important yeah and then so in my intervention classroom we em, i embody that that narrative so if someone does something wrong we talk about it as a group um, and i'm very blessed because i've got quite small groups i think my biggest is only 15 this year so we sit around one table together and we talk about what's happened and we and and the and the students know to expect now that if something goes wrong and they mess up it is an open forum and we discuss it and we talk about how the team feel the group feel about that um and it and it all seems a bit i don't know a bit twee potentially but the students love it and then mm. the knock-on effect of that is that you hear them coaching each other you hear them mentoring each other you hear them kind of buoying each other when they can't when they can't manage um so yeah the environment we're creating is a really nurturing and safe one um and i'm trying to instill that across the school by embodying it myself and being supportive like that to other members of staff which is obviously exhausting and not always possible because it's quite a stressed and fraught environment a lot of the time um but yeah we do try to look after each other which is important lovely um and, and and talking now more about your or focusing in on your students um yep. you've got your nurture groups but the other classes in the school are they mixed ability or or do you set yes yeah, so as a as a school we are moving away from setting um we know that research has shown that setting does nothing for children's esteem for young people's esteem and actually if you're a good enough teacher you shouldn't really need streamlining and stream sets you should be able to cater for every child in your class and I know that that is really challenging sometimes especially with certain behaviours but a good teacher will know each of their students and know what each of their students needs not immediately but certainly by Christmas um, so no in in English we we only set in year eight and that's something we're moving away from apart from my groups um, which are usually children who, whose entry point in the school is that they can't read or write yet or they can read but they can't write or vice versa sure. um, but they still get the same diet as the rest of the school albeit on a, a highly differentiated scale plus they have lots of phonics and handwriting and speaking and listening intervention so we think that they gain so much from mixed being mixed yeah. um, Obviously, that is challenging sometimes, but um, we kind of relish that challenge. And um, our texts are so engaging that we teach that they 
they hit the spot for everyone really yeah I suppose like good teaching does that doesn't it and good like you say a good diet the, a good mix and, and really carefully selected materials and yeah yeah um so before we talk about the specific things that you do with your nurture groups um what are your thoughts on how less able students find like their experience of learning particularly in mixed ability classes um and what factors do you think might impact um their school experience and their classroom experience in those mixed ability classes well that is big so, question <laughs> sorry it is fine <laughs> So first of all, to answer the first bit, what do I think their experience of mixed ability is? So in my nurture groups, the the mixture of ability is still very, very broad. So, for example, I might have a child that can't read or write yet with a child who can read, but is severely autistic, for example, and can't access learning in a busy, noisy, um, multi-sensory environment. Um, so I think their experience is what's the right word it's really hard I think their experience is different to that of um, the average child um, but I think their experience of life is also different so they need they need to be seen and heard and they need to be seen more clearly and they need to be heard more carefully um, sometimes they're very quiet and don't so if they were in a real mixed ability class for example they wouldn't they wouldn't find their voice um in the busyness of a normal classroom they would be overlooked because they are really well behaved um, and they work really hard to get down what they can um so their experience is is maybe limited um in a normal environment where teachers run a huge amount of pressure and they can't get to them when they want to um, and I can't remember what the other part of your question was. What did you say? What was uh, the the other part of my question was, uh, what factors do you think um, have an impact on less able students? Oh my goodness, um, on so their, their experience in, 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 a, in a mixed ability cl classroom. So what's impacting how they feel mm. about themselves and their, and their learning experience? So I think the biggest impact is probably that when they started school, they weren't school ready. So they didn't have, they haven't had the same exposure, they haven't had enough exposure to um, appropriate challenge as well. Like if it's, yeah, for sure. it's just it's like they, another they, language, they just, isn't it? When it's not the, yeah. the right level of challenge. If you, if you, yeah, if you live or um, if you are if you if you live in an environment that's stressed at home for example and and you and you don't have patient parents or parents that can afford you patients because they're busy or stressed or their lives are difficult then when you come to school you aren't as ready as someone who would have had different experiences at home so quite a lot quite a lot of it is about their starting point um, and how they how they are when they get to us um, but there's so there's so many other there's so many other factors um, the pace at which phonics is taught I don't think really serves children very well only using phonics to teach I don't think serves a lot of children very well um, yeah it's there's there are so there are so many there are so many factors so many inhibiting factors did that answer that question it did but I think we're both a little bit like oh like it's just it's hard and it's like disappointing that we can't always that children aren't always catered for in the way they need to be at the start of their education um, it is hard but it's also really exciting so when I saw the advert for the so I'm a SEND specialist English teacher when I saw the advert I was really really excited and I thought wow a space for me just to be able to have all of these children together and do something really special and I think more settings need that and I was at an English leadership meeting just last week at another middle school Gilbert's um, which is going through some really big changes they've got a fantastic English lead and deputy there now who came from Van Dyke um, and she she was just asking lots of questions and so as a group of, of schools locally we, we are starting to share best practice in this area um, I think all of our middle schools need this um, mm. and they've always needed it but post pandemic it's more 
it's more prominent now. So it is quite exciting. Um, I've had to teach myself phonics. I've had to teach myself all of those things. And lots of people would shy away from that. But I, I really love it. And um, the kids really love it as well. And someone asked me the other day, oh, my goodness, how do your how do your year fives cope with um, learning phonics and learning those texts? Aren't they insulted by it? And I and I and I said, no, not at all. They absolutely love it. They absorb everything. They have the best time. So it's just about your approach to it, isn't it? Um, well why don't you tell us a bit about your approach so you know what what things are you doing um in your nurture group to support these less able students and, and crucially to create that safe space for them to learn so okay so talking about the space it's quite a small room which i think is quite important nobody feels lost in there and there are um, less tables and this all sounds quite obvious there are less tables there are small it's a small room everything is available for them that they might need on the table so they have I want them to be really independent in everything they do and I, everything I ask them to do is planned so that they can be independent in it, it doesn't matter what the learning question is I want them to I want it to be very um, multi-sensory activity so I want a lot of cutting and a lot of sticking because a lot of them have missed lots of fine motor skills practice um, so the room is set up so that they know everything that they need is in front of them um, there's also a safe place for them to flee to so I've it's called um it's a book nook, I call it. So it's basically a table that's pushed up against a wall. And I have a solar system painted underneath it that one of my very talented TAs helped me do. And then there's lots of cushions and teddies in there and curtains. So for some of my autistic children or some of my children that find sensory processing really difficult, they can go there and they know they can go there anytime they want to during the lesson. As long as they're not disturbing anyone else, they can get up and they can move to that safe place. And that's they don't they don't often use it now, but knowing that it's there for them is really helpful. Um, and so we have an understanding that anyone can enter that space that they want to. So that that is that makes it safe for them. Um, it's also for set up like a primary classroom. So it's 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 much more primary than it would be secondary because of my experiences from, from lower school. Um, and then they have exposure to really high quality text, which they're really excited about, but they get that in a different way. So I, as a school, we read to our children all the time as part of our reading policy. But in my classroom, we do a lot, I do a lot more reading to them. And when they read aloud, we sit in a group and sit around a table and everyone knows that when it's their turn, they will have to read, but they only have to read a sentence if they want to. They can use a reading ruler if they need to. They'll be supported by their peers, which is just one of the best things ever. Even in my year eight group, um, I have to tell some of the children off sometimes for help for helping each other too much <laughs> because they don't really need it but it's so, it's so lovely and I'll be like Shh, don't say he knows how to do it let him let him do it um but they just support <laughs> you really quickly it's really lovely to watch um so it's all about expectation really I think and I have very very high expectations for all of the groups um but they they all have a growth mindset because I embody that and we talk about that a lot um no nothing is a mistake um we I embody that 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 the idea that we learn the most from those and we discuss them like I said earlier as a group so um, they have they have they have exposure to the main curriculum but they also have um, we use read write ink phonics and we use a read write ink fresh start program all very pacey all very prescriptive quite expensive but but fabulous really fabulous results lots of dictation um, for sentence structure and spelling um, lots of exposure to keywords. A lot of the children. Um, so my one of my biggest bugbears last year was that um, children didn't spell I with a capital I. So I wasn't uppercase. So they'd never been taught that the word I was always capitalised. Um, it's so frustrating to get children in year five, six, seven, and eight not spelling I right. Mm. Um, so it's having the having the space and the support from SLT to spend a week teaching four groups of children that I is a word and it should be uppercase where would where else would that happen um so, you just yeah, wouldn't have time for that in a in your your regular no. mixed ability class you just would not have time yeah, to really be able to drive that home it would just stress you out it would just stress you out wouldn't it you'd just be stressed by it you'd just be saying to your colleagues oh my goodness these children don't even capitalize their eyes um 
so a lot of the schemes we've bought in bought into um, we used quite a lot of catch-up funding for those um, which was also really lucky um, a lot of them mean that keywords are on display all the time and they're always changing but they have a lot of support with kind of visual aids um, and that's all embedded now so they know what color to look for so for example words that aren't decodable are always red so they, they know in the classroom if they're looking for a word that they can't spell they can look for it as um as a red word so yeah there's lots of lots of things like that that are happening and we've bought into a lot of expensive schemes that are actually really fabulous um with very good support online is there um, any that you want to mention <laughs> i can't, I yeah, can't promote I, them but you can mention any that you think yeah. are particularly good annoyingly um so this rude writing has had quite a bad rap with the eef i've, I've heard recently it. that it, yeah it hasn't um, been there's something around results um, haven't been as the results of using the program haven't been as good as no but, but I can absolutely justify it by saying that I can see the results every day in my in the students that I teach particularly in my year five and six groups you know children that come in and can't write a sentence in six weeks being able to write a sentence and um, children that are too scared to put pen to paper because they're too scared of making a mistake or spelling something wrong in six weeks can write a write a compound sentence or even a complex sentence at some point I so, think yeah, from I using to... programs like that if, like if you want to get good success out of them you really need to invest in teacher training around using yeah. those programs because I you know I accelerated reader for example I hear some schools say it just didn't work for us it made no difference um you know we, we we it didn't it didn't work for us practically but it didn't actually improve any of our outcomes um, and then other schools rave about it and say it's just made yeah. such a huge difference to the the reading ability and confidence of of their cohort so I, I think it's one of those things if you're going to invest in a in a very specific program you also need to invest the time into learning sure. how to implement it for sure. So I came with a little bit of knowledge about um, Read Write Inc. And so I was confident about the resources and I was confident about the support that you get. Um, and I just ran with that. But by the same token, I know that my SLT are affording me the time to get to grips with it properly and really, really kind of embed it in my own brain. And now I'm training other people in it. Um, we also use an a writing intervention, which came from, I think, Nottinghamshire County Council. Um, that I did some training on quite a few years ago now called Switch On, which was originally designed to close the gap for boys up in the north of England. And that's a reading and writing intervention that we're now running out because um, we, we also have an intervention space separate to my classroom. Um, so that but, but basically that's just allowing adults 20 minutes with a child twice a week to read and get a good sentence from them um, which again in a lot of places there just isn't the time for so it's about carving out the time because it's important because if they get to GCSE level and they still can't write a sentence they're not going to get their GCSE are they so a lot of it is about being brave enough to say we can't teach semicolons because our children don't use capital letters and full stops how are we going to deal with that let's invest our time and thinking in that let's deal with that and then we can move on to the next thing um so yeah just one thing at a time um we are an accelerated reader school and i've got a brilliant librarian who has taken that on and champions it and the children that love it love it and the children that can't access it don't so mm -hmm. um, it works for some but kind of sharing the load and focusing on one thing at a time is really important and i remember when i was in my interview they asked me what i'd want and I said, I want some time to get my head around something. So I'm not doing a rubbish job. Um, and it, I, I came with a three year plan. So um, it's still I, nowhere near what I want it to be. But it's much better than the provision when I arrived. So I'm yeah. happy with that for now. I'm, I love the whole one thing at a time approach. Um, and I, I, I remember years back a school i was working in we were they were interviewing for a new head teacher and the schools in didn't have a very good reputation um uh, locally in the community and it was difficult it, it was a difficult school to work in and um all of the potential head teachers came and did a little sort of speech to the staff and then we went to like write our little feedback on slips bit of a strange way to make the the appointment in in that way but um 
one of the teachers who didn't get the job, sadly, she said that there are so many changes that you need to make in this school. Um, and you all know there are so many changes, but we can't do it all. And actually, like if we just work on one thing every half term and really yeah. get it fixed in place and everyone's really confident with it and it becomes part of what we do at this school, every single half term, we're going to solve one little problem. And yeah. I just, and, and she got my vote. She completely got my vote. Um, and it takes I'm, a lot of courage. It takes a lot of courage to shelve 25 things and just focus on one. And 25 important thought, things as well, to yeah. shelve things that you know are really important, but you can't do yeah. it all at once. No, you can't. You know, the, 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 um, the other option is complete burnout, which so many teachers, you know, suffer from. So that is my my narrative is one thing at a time. And now my staff are saying to me, OK, I want this, this and this, but I'm just going to do this one thing at a time. So it, it it doesn't take long to embed if you really, really embody it. And it's really empowering and lovely to see. And I remember going into a meeting with my head teacher, who is wonderful and very calm and very supportive. I remember going in at the beginning and she said to me in our first directors meeting, you are, you cannot change the world just, you know, this quickly. You need to slow down. How about you just do this first and this next and then that will be fine for your performance management. And I remember thinking, oh, my goodness, yes, of course. And I know how to prioritize. <laughs> I used to be, you know, I used to I used to work in management when I was very young for a really long time so I do know how to prioritize but when you're faced with lots of young people that really need you to implement lots of things and get everything going and make everything better when I started all I could see was just um, possibility and improvements everywhere she re her really saying that to me just activated that in me so then I could go and say hey to the team Julia said this to me so I know she means it and whether she meant it or not I took it on board. Yeah, and she said it. it so, <laughs> yeah, and I was going to hold her to it. So, um, so yeah, it's just about it's just about being brave enough to say, this is what's important now. I will get to that other really important thing, um, mm. and and just... and the, the children that that becomes their approach as well. I think when they Absolutely. you know they know like okay, so we are only going to focus on making an I a capital letter where it yeah. should be in, in a sentence. Yeah. Um, and we don't have to think about all those other millions of things that, that we feel are out of our reach. If we're just focusing on this one tiny thing and we're going to yeah. master it. So removing, removing, re reassuring them constantly, constant verbal reassurance about just focus on this. This is what's important at the moment. Um, lots of. So I don't I don't sit down when I teach at all and they get instant feedback, which is something we've got a really good feedback policy. It's coming through the school now where we're trying to encourage us, our, our teachers to be up and out among the kids as they're doing things, looking at their work on the spot. So that reduces teacher workload because there's less marking. But also we're trying to train the students to see if we use a green highlighter, that that's a growth area. If we use a pink highlighter, then we're happy. Um, and then they kind it's kind it's kind of immediate it's so much more impactful than waiting for work to be marked and getting it back and all of those things mm. um so yeah one 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 focus doing it until it's done and then moving on when we're ready um it all sounds very obvious but not a lot of places do that very well, well it I sounds it sounds like um you're making really good strides in you know positive impact um with your less able students i mean is is there i know you said at the start that you went you, you were not a data person um but have you got tangible results since you since you've implemented some of these things over the last couple of yeah. years children are starting children are being children are starting to be able to read and write and we're looking at now being able to reintegrate some of some of those children into um other mixed ability classes oh, that's lot, that's fantastic that's where what you want from this right yeah for sure so and, and actually I've got a member of my team who's who's always asking me about that and I feel quite under pressure from her all the time but I'm kind of glad she's she's asking me all the time so when we've got one ready to move to fly the nest we move them on and it's lovely and I've done that lots already some children will always be with me because of mm. the nature of their levels of understanding and some children 
only come for six, for a half term just to get that kind of boost and that love and that support and that kind of um, verbal feedback. So yeah, of course. But uh, the success rate is is that I have a lot of happy children, lots and lots of happy children that love coming to lesson. I have a lot of happy parents with much less anxious children going home, children wanting to read their reading book at home, children wanting to do their homework when before it was always a battle. So my successes really come from that kind of feedback, really. Um, and yes, our SATS results in reading were much better. Um, than they've ever been so that's really nice well, as well isn't it it's obviously working my, then. <laughs> my head teacher said, I said to my head teacher are you happy with that and she said Carly I'm really happy with that and I went away thinking she's really happy with that so that's okay <laughs> now I've got, now I'm going to focus on writing because we've had a writing we had a writing moderation recently so we're going to do some work on writing so yeah one thing at a time one thing at a time so I was going to ask you if you could give any um tangible things that teachers listening could just literally going to school tomorrow and do or begin doing um so apart from the the, the awesomeness of one thing at a time <laughs> yeah which is a great approach that they can take but is there anything like they can actually do in their mixed ability classroom just to make it a safer a safer space a safer environment for those less able students to really begin to thrive yeah they need to yeah, there are so many things. You, you need to know your, your students really well. You need to know your families really well. You need to know what's going on at home. You need to know what makes someone nervous. You need to know who someone doesn't want to sit next to because they've fallen out on the playground or they've got they've got history in that area. So you need to know them and you need to connect. You need genuine connections with your children. You need to be genuinely interested in what they do inside of school and outside of school. You need levels of noticing need to be really really high so I notice lots of things that maybe other people wouldn't notice and I talk about them oh my goodness I noticed that you formed your G this time I, all of your G's need to be like that from now on um, and you know rewarding them accordingly so it's a lot of it is based on connection and relationships but other really simple things you can do are um giving extra time allowing thinking time allowing talking time um remember that our children have spent by and large two years in their bedroom or on their you know on their devices so they've forgotten how to communicate so lots of modeled talking lots of extra time for thinking lots of extra time to talk to their peers about problems giving them the opportunity after you've asked them a question to talk and then we, um making sure they've got everything at their fingertips that they need um, we are really really big on highlighters in Oxbridge so I've got lots of highlighters on all of the tables the children are all trained now that they can't just touch them and draw them, <laughs> write in them they use them independently to highlight so for example someone that struggled to read would know that um, if they highlight each sentence in a different color tracking is going to be easier for them um, we've got overlays available we've got um, pen readers for our dyslexic children available they know they can just go and get them they don't have to ask for them um, we've got lots of chromebooks that they can go to the library and just get to take to a particular lesson so i've got some children that i teach english to that really struggle in science that have their own access to a chromebook um, so none of them none of them are massive things obviously smaller chunks one instruction at a time um, yeah just making things accessible and easy and noticing when outcomes aren't what you want them to be and thinking about why and it's usually because the children are so overwhelmed because you've given them eight things to do mm. um, give them one thing to do re and then they do that really well and then they move on to the next thing and sometimes just taking the pressure off you know if you're asking them to write a paragraph saying it's okay just start with the first sentence and modeling that um, mm verbally not I don't mean modeling it on the you know writing it obviously lots of modeling but um verbally saying it's okay just start with one sentence and then see how you get on um so well, yeah. I do that with some of my students I you know I say if you if you can't write it down today um just say it out loud and you can think about mm -hmm. writing it down later because sometimes organizing ideas is challenging enough without having to then think about how am I going to get this from my head through my hand onto the paper but yeah, I suppose yeah. it comes down to like you say knowing all of your students 
really well and what makes them tick and what they find difficult and actually do we have to always force them to write a whole paragraph or do we you know, exactly can it. they yeah, actually exactly. use pen readers or chromebooks you know it doesn't stop them from yeah. learning can we it's, make it easy for them like you said make it easy um but just very quickly on that i forgot what i was going to say now that's annoying what was i going to say what was i going to well, say i was talking about was, um giving them the opportunity to say things out loud if they so yes we're doing put it on paper yeah and as a teacher as a as a professional not being obsessed with gathering evidence for offset not being obsessed with proving that they can do something being confident enough that you know they can do something because you've seen it enough times you've got you've seen it written in their books but that you don't always you're not always so many teaching professionals are completely obsessed with um having evidence to look at um and you don't all you don't always need that we, we do that we're doing the voice 21 uh, we're doing a voice 21 three-year project we're in the middle of that now so we're in our second year and we've just run a school-wide poetry competition and it was wonderful we had a poetry um assembly last week where we heard lots of children reciting poems that they'd learned and it was just it was just so brilliant and historically we wouldn't have made time for that but we one of my staff worked really hard, made time for it, and it was brilliant. And it wasn't perfect. We've got lots of work to do. We need to buy some new recording equipment. We need to do other things. But it's committing to doing something and not thinking, oh, that wasn't as good as I hoped it would be. Let's shelve it. Committing to it, doing it and thinking, OK, we need this, this and this to make it better. Let's have another go. And then trying mm. again after that to make it perfect. Mm, I suppose um, that's, that's us modelling the approach we want the children to take too, isn't it? 100% yeah 100% yeah 100% lovely um this has been the really really lovely and an interesting conversation and I hope that all of our listeners have really enjoyed um learning from your experience and and honestly Carly your warmth towards your students just completely comes through so I think they're I know you probably think you're the lucky one but they are they're a lucky bunch to have you thank you I think we're all lucky well yeah but it's best job in the world isn't it yeah it really is and um and I, and I I wouldn't want to do it if I didn't feel like this about it so yeah it is yeah I love it it's just an honor yeah um carly it's been it's been lovely thank you very much for talking for talking to us on teachers talk radio and um i have no doubt i'll be coming back asking you to share some wisdom on another topic in the future but thanks for coming thank you thanks for having me have teamed up with the Witherslack group to bring you a fantastic face-to-face meetup in Manchester next month. Tickets are free with lunch included and you'll be met with a host of amazing speakers. Sign up for your voice now at witherslackgroup.co.uk forward slash your voice 2022. Hi, I'm Charlie Burley, the teacher's health coach, and I want to talk to you about the first ever health and wellbeing event for educators rewriting well-being it's a full day dedicated to improving your health as a teacher through looking at your nutrition movement mindset workload and well-being in school you'll hear from our incredible lineup of speakers including andrew cowley jen foster kimberly wilson simon bolger and many more there'll be talks workshops and time to network with like-minded colleagues we'll look after you all day with brunch lunch and all the refreshments You'll get to meet our incredible speakers and our amazing team of ambassadors from the education space. It's a non-profit event with all proceeds going to the amazing education charity EdSupport. This isn't one to miss. I look forward to seeing you there on the 22nd of October at Etc Venues St Paul's in London. You can search Rewriting Wellbeing on the Eventbrite website to find out more. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. 
This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. Friday the 14th of October saw many schools mark Restart a Heart Day 2022. In Yorkshire, thousands of children across the county took part in events, learning vital life-saving skills. The Yorkshire Ambulance Service ran events designed to improve cardiac arrest survival rates, visiting 136 secondary schools and training more than 30,000 students. A spokesman for the service said that since the launch of the programme in 2014, bystander CPR rates in Yorkshire have increased from 39.9 to 74.9%. Across all four home nations, the British Heart Foundation and the Resuscitation Council UK have worked with a range of partners to ensure that more and more people can learn how to save a life. The official Restart a Heart Day was the 16th of October 2022. The iNewspaper reports on news that the UK's largest teaching union, the NEU, has announced that it will hold a formal ballot for strike action, with a timetable for potential walkouts to be announced in the next few days. The union represents more than 450,000 teaching staff across the country, and said it would move ahead with proceedings after it said the government had failed to respond to its calls for an above-inflation pay rise for teachers. A preliminary ballot showed that 98% support a pay rise above the current inflation rate of 10%. The government has offered a rise of 5% for most teachers. The ballot also showed that 86% of teacher members said they were willing to take strike action. The NESUWT has also announced that it will pursue strike action over pay. FE Week focuses on criticism of, of exam board decisions to raise fees by up to 17%. It says that schools and colleges face having to pay out tens of thousands of pounds more in GCSE and A-level fees. Exam boards at Excel and OCR have raised fees for all 2023 exams by 6% whilst England's largest exam board, AQA, has hiked prices by between 5 and 17%. AQA remains the board with the lowest prices overall. Exam boards say they need to hike prices in order to cover costs, while school leaders say the rises are inappropriate at a time when school leaders battle with rising energy and staffing costs. Comments from all boards indicate that whilst they understand schools and colleges are stretched, they try to offer as much value for money as possible and try to keep fees low. In Jersey, the government has pledged to expand its school meal programme to all public primary schools if the £1.6 million funding plan is approved by ministers. The money will be used to create new facilities to store and serve meals, as well as food itself. Chief Minister, Deputy Christina Moore, says the plan shows government commitment to supporting children and families especially as the cost of living crisis continues. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm going to look at keeping your phone charged should power cuts be introduced. Coming home to no power between 4 and 7pm may be something we have to learn to live with as the winter approaches. We can live without most things. However, for most, our mobile phone is the main point of contact. With being in work all day and no means of charging once home, will your phone last that extra bit of time? Before I begin, this is not an advert, so there'll be no brand names mentioned just a look at the technology available to extend the uptime of your phone to keep you connected with your friends and family the power bank is the obvious choice for extending the charge of your phone they've come on a lot since they were first introduced when buying consider the technology your phone has if it has an induction charger meaning you just put your phone on a pad to charge there are rechargeable induction chargers available they're like a little backpack for your phone they come with a stick on magnet or will connect via an existing magnetic connection if you should have one built in they can allow simple and secure connections to the charge just be aware some magnetic connections are weakened by the type of case you have on your phone if you want something more multi-purpose there are several other types of power bank available some double up as torches and hand warmers however if you spent the day keeping your hands warm there won't be much left for you to charge your phone at the end of the day the next thing to consider while you're making your choices is the capacity of the charge they can hold this is measured in mah 
or milliamp hours. The bigger the number, the more charge it will hold and therefore the longer it will last before recharging. Usually this relates to the cost and also the overall size and weight of the device. To give an example, a 2000 milliamp hour battery will provide approximately twice the charging time as a 1000 milliamp hour battery. Basically what I'm saying is, if you're wanting to charge a device several times throughout the day, then you'll want a large milliamp hour capacity. Finally, if you're going to use a power bank, remember they take time to charge too. So make sure you get into a routine so you're not caught out. Do you already have a power bank? I'd love to hear from you. Why not tell us at TT Radio 2022? I'm Steve Woods and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.